We're in Romans chapter 2, continuing on in the series, The Gospel of God, as Pastor Ron walks us through the book of Romans. We're in chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it's page 940, if you're using a pew Bible this morning. Chapter 2, verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. As Pastor Jason said, we're making our way through Romans, and uh, we have been in it several weeks now, and we are in a heavy section of Romans, um, beginning in chapter 1, about midway through, all the way into chapter 3, in the middle of that chapter, we we have some heavy kinds of um, things that are being talked about. Basically, the theme is sin, your sin and my sin, and how all of us, all of us, bar none, on the face of this earth who have ever lived are without excuse. That's really what it's talking about all the way through those Verses. And we're taking our time to walk through them. We want to understand them. And this morning particularly, I, I have a sense that I'm not going to get to the end today. So don't get too worried. I'm not going to keep you here forever. But uh, I do want to make a point. And probably it looks as though with the time I have, I'll make that point And then we'll finish it next time. But in order to make that point, we have to back up. I have to remember where we've been. Really, we kind of just need to walk through Romans thus far, kind of get the, the top of the trees and get the picture. And remember how that picture began. It began by Paul heralding a message. He's not just telling a message. He's not whispering a message. He is heralding a message, a message that is so powerful because it had such an effect on his life and we've talked about the significance of Romans. I, I've been here now 40 years, and it took 40 years to have enough courage to walk through Romans. And it's no small feat to walk through the book of Romans, but it is, it is precious. It is full of the gospel, of what Christ has done, and it unpacks it layer upon layer. And that's what Paul is heralding, what God has done for us in Christ. And uh, we find as we come through that book to chapters 1, verses 16 and 17, really the theme of Romans. This, this is the theme. If you want to know what Romans is about, it's about these two verses. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What's revealed to us is a righteousness from God. 
This, this righteousness that it talks about when it says the righteousness of God is revealed is not the righteousness by which God is righteous. If that's all Paul knew, that would not be good news. And if that's all you knew, it would not be good news. That God is perfectly holy and perfectly just. And we've been hammering that we're not. And that would not be good news. If that's what it means when it says the righteousness of God is revealed, Paul would not herald that message. He would shake because of that message. So it means something different than that. It's not the righteousness by which God is righteous, but it's rather a righteousness that God provides for us so that we can be seen as righteous. It is an imputed righteousness, if you will, which is a theological term, but it's a powerful term. It's a a significant term. And what it means here when it says the righteousness of God is revealed, what it means is that God has provided a way God has provided a way that we can be righteous in his sight, but not because of a righteousness that resides in us, but rather a righteousness that was accomplished by his son. You know, we all heard Jesus died for us, but that's not the full story. He first lived for us. He lived perfectly. He fulfilled all righteousness, the scripture tells us, and then died so that he then would have obtained a righteousness that he could give to us. And so when we talk about it being imputed, this righteousness is imputed. It's alien to us. It's something he accomplished outside of us that to all who will put their faith and take refuge in God and all that he is for Christ, he gives to us. The scripture in other places says, he who had no sin, Jesus, he lived sinlessly, He died sinlessly so that he then could give us a righteousness. He who had no sin became sin for us. He took the penalty of all who will believe. And then in exchange for that, he gives us, he provides for us a righteousness, if you will, a perfection. The the songwriter said, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. That's the picture, that when we, by faith, put our hope in all that Christ has accomplished. He, he takes the penalty of our sin. He bears the word that we've, we've seen often in Romans. He bears the wrath of God to, for sin. And the exchange for that gives us his righteousness, the, the righteousness he accomplished and the declaration that he accomplished it and did it rightly and did it well and did it fully was God raised him from the dead. That's what the resurrection's about. He was raised because he did it completely and perfectly. And the declaration of the Father is well done. Well done in the resurrection. Now, that's what takes us up to that point. But then we kind of change gears in verse 18. Because Paul talks about this message that he's heralding, this righteousness, this good news, which is what the gospel means, this good news, that that there's another way to be righteous other than me trying to accomplish it, that Christ accomplished it, and he gives it to us by faith. But Paul's got to continue the argument, and the argument is why we need it. And that's what he begins in verse 18. In verse 18, we, we talked about that. It says this, it's some hard 
hard language, hard words, and and it doesn't stop until we get to the middle of chapter 3. But here's how it begins. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. All of us have been guilty of that. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us deserve God's wrath, which is really his righteousness and, and who he is and how, how horrid our sin, our cosmic treason against him is. One of the reasons people oftentimes don't understand Christianity and understand the gospel is that they don't understand their own sin. And so Paul takes on that feat of convincing everyone, knocking the legs out from underneath everyone, Gentile and Jew, which is the whole world, that we all are without excuse. That's what he just continues to hammer, that we've offended a holy God, we've greatly offended a holy God. And all men need that righteousness that Paul is heralding. God offers it because he loves the people. And uh, we spent the last few weeks in chapter 2, some verses there, Look at verse 4 of chapter 2, it says this, Or do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness was meant to lead you to repentance? Uh, God, God is kind and loving, and that love is expressed to us to lead us to repentance. And so the last few weeks, we have talked about what that looks like. What does it look like to, 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 to truly have godly repentance take shape in our life? What, what is God the repentance? What does it look like? Because that's really what the scripture says is what God is doing. He's, he's attempting to bring all men to repentance. All men. And it's interesting now, remember if you've been here, in the first chapter he's talking to the Gentile world and he's coming down pretty hard on the Gentiles. Those those who have forsaken God, the knowledge of God completely. And remember chapter 2, then he picks it up and he turns to the Jews over in the corner who are kind of snickering and say, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I haven't forsaken knowledge of God completely. Look what happened to them. And as they're glorying in their own self-righteousness, he turns to them and he begins to bore down on the Jews and maybe a few Gentiles who've been converted. And he begins to hammer them starting in chapter 2 and verse 1. And that's what we've talked about these last weeks. It, it, it's a message for all people. And the stakes are incredibly high. The stakes are incredibly high because at the end of chapter 2, after he turns to the Jews, those religious types, who are glorying in their own self-righteousness and and proceeds to knock out the legs from under them as well and convince them or attempt to convince them there without excuse as well that, so that they might be led to repentance. He ends with this. If they don't come to repentance, this is what it says. Again, hard, heavy words where it says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, the Jews, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He's talking to them if they don't repent as well, if they don't turn from that in true godly sorrow and look to Christ and all that he is for them, that's the, that's the end. That's where it will 
head. And as I said last week, these are, these are heavy things. But there's a contrast. We, we, can't, we can't leave it without the contrast because that's one thing that can happen. But if we move through true godly repentance, as we've talked about, and I can't go back over all of that today. You can get it on the webpage and the messages. But the contrast of that is Psalm 31.19. For those who do allow God's kindness and all of that to lead them to repentance, this is what they can expect. Oh, how abundant. This is what the psalmist said. Oh, abundant is your goodness which you stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. The psalmist is giving us a picture of all those who take their refuge in God and all that he is for them in Christ now. It goes from God storing up wrath and, and you know, we, we had that picture that of sin. Every time we sin, we just add something to that to God now storing up his goodness. That's the, that's the promise of the gospel. That's the promise of all who will look to Christ. And folks, I would, I would quit doing what I'm doing if I didn't believe that with all of my heart. I mean, that, that, would, that first part would not be good news. That is not good news that God is, is storing up wrath for those who, who do not turn. But it is gloriously good news to know that when we do turn and look to Christ and all that he is, that now he stores up his goodness for us. It's what I hope as we sang this morning, those songs float out of hearts that understand that and look forward to that. And all of it, all of it boils down to faith in the righteousness of God in Christ alone. It's that righteousness that going back now, the reason we had to go back is because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What righteousness? A righteousness that he's willing to give us. A righteousness that, that is outside of us. If we want to get to heaven, one way to get to heaven is don't sin. Be perfect. Don't stir up God's wrath against sin. Just do it all right. But you know where that took all of us. All of us are without excuse because there's not a person in this room who has not sinned and sinned multiple times. None of us. So that one's out the window. To, to, to live perfectly? Well, sometimes people in the middle of that think, well, I'll just start living perfectly now. The problem is you didn't to start with and you can't even now. You think you can't. You can't. That's, that's what Paul's doing in, in Romans 1 and 2 and 3. You can't. You can't do it yourself. You can't. Understand it and come to the point of realizing you're without excuse so that you look to another way. And the other way is the righteousness that God has provided in Christ. And we, we trust in that. And we, we take refuge in that. We take refuge in Christ. And by faith... By faith, we, we participate in the exchange. It's a glorious exchange. Our sin, the wrath for that sin, is poured on Christ. And in exchange for that, we get righteousness, a perfect righteousness. We're, we're covered with the righteousness of Christ. It's ours. His righteousness becomes ours. When God 
sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. That is the glorious hope of the gospel. And it is by faith alone, by faith alone in that, that transition takes place. Do you see that? Do you glory in that? This morning, my Sunday school class, um, we, we talked about it. We, we heard about it as the gospel was unpacked by John Piper. And that all of the judicial wrath that should have been mine, this is the glory of the gospel, fell on Christ. All of it. There's not one ounce of it left to fall on me or you if you trust Christ. There's no danger of that happening. It all fell on him. And the same God who is just and can't wink at sin and there needed to be a payment for it now is the God who who will not be unjust because it fell on Christ to have an ounce of it fall on you. That's all it would take. You just need an ounce of it and it would be over. But none of it, none of it. That's the glory of the gospel. Now, I want to hammer that home by faith, by faith alone. You, you, you get the picture? You get it? You see it? Now, if you have your Bibles, and if not, listen carefully. Listen to this. Verse 6, the first verse that was read. This is what it says. He will render to each one according to his works. He will render to each one according to his works. What is that about? What is Paul saying? He's just spent time telling us there's a righteousness from God by faith. So what's this all about, Paul? You've just told the Jews, and you're going to continue to tell them they they can't earn this thing, they they can't be righteous in themselves. So now what are you saying? Are you contradicting? Are you schizophrenic? Have you lost it in the process of writing the letter? What in the world are you saying when he says he will render each one according to his works? That's what we're going to more fully unpack next week because I don't have a tough time to finish it today. But I do want to whet your appetite. I do want to say some things. I want to leave you totally hanging here. Because I don't think Paul is being inconsistent. I think he is, he is forming an argument. That's what Romans is about, an argument about this glorious righteousness and why we need it and why it's essential that we have it. The stakes are incredibly high. It's either wrath stored up or God's goodness stored up. That's, that's the consequence. That's the, that's the dilemma. Paul says it's by faith. But now, what is this about? Now, I could have titled this message, if you go back to the webpage, you'll find two previous messages which are entitled Godly Repentance, Part 1. Last week, Part 2, as we came to the table, we talked about it again. I could have just titled this Godly Repentance, Part 3, because that's really what it was. Because remember when we talked about Godly Repentance, we talked about it, it begins in the heart. 
It begins by thinking again. You, you rethink things that you've thought one way. Now you start to think a different way. Truly God repented. You start to think a different way. And you think a different way and, and your mindset begins to change. Your mind begins to change. You, and, and ultimately, as you think again, your, your mind begins to change. Your, your actions begin to flow from that. Godly repentance shows it in a, in a different life. But you but I said to you several times that don't start with the different life. Don't start there because it starts way back in the heart. We, we start to see God differently. We start to see that he, in fact, is holy. And we start to see because he's holy, we see our sin and, and we realize the, the, the dilemma of that, his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, our sin. And, and as we see those things, then we begin to to say, woe is me, where, where do I go? I am, I am in trouble. Like Isaiah, I'm a man that's in big trouble. That's what I think happens when we start to really move through God's repentance. And so we start to say, what do I do? And, and what we do is we look to Christ. You see, when we realize who he is and we realize who we are and we realize the gulf and we realize we can't span the gulf, we, we look to the remedy, to Christ. And then as we do and we experience that, we understand that our life does begin to look differently, flow out differently. What I think he's talking about here is the third part of that. We talked a lot about the first two, the heart, not not to jump to the third thing too quickly. And here's what I want you to take with you this morning. When, when Paul is talking about here, he says he will render, which means he will render. There'll be an accounting given. There'll be a day when he will render to each one according to their work. Judgment day. What, what happens? What's he mean, render, according to his work, when it's about faith? What does he mean? Well, I think it means this. I think what he will, on that last day, our works will, our works will, our lives will cause there to be a rendering. And, and the way it will work is this. It isn't that we will have enough works. It won't be the quantity of our works. It won't be that we've, we've done enough good things to appease a holy God, and therefore he'll say, come on in. We've already, he spent all his time saying that won't work. He's going he's gonna to turn to the Jews. We're going to hear it again and again and again. You, you will not be saved by the law. You will not be saved by adding up enough good works. You can't. So it's not the quantity that he looks at. It's, when it talks about rendering, it, it, he, he will look, Upon us, and he will not look at the quantity and say, You have enough. You have enough good works, therefore, enter in. No man can do it that way. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need the righteousness of Christ, because he's the one who worked perfectly. We didn't. And so we are saved by his works, his perfect works, but not ours. No man will be saved by his works the quantity of his works. But he will be, I think, 
saved by the reality of those works. And there's a drastic difference. This is the difference, is that there's a reality in our lives that change has happened. God looks down upon us and the reality that we, in fact, have had a new understanding of who God is and who we are and we've run to Christ and, and that will, out of that, will flow a different life. And so it is the issue of reality that, in fact, that transformation has happened. God looks down not on the quantity of what is produced, not on the quantity, but the reality. The reality of the fact that because we are redeemed people, because we've come to understand the glory of the gospel, the glory of what Christ has done, flows out of us a different way of living is in fact what God will see. But not the quantity of that. So here's what you need to take with you this morning. It is, it is works the reality of works, not the quantity of works. The reality, not the quantity. The existence of a life that has been transformed, but not the quantity of what's done. Because the truth of the matter is, we will not live sinlessly. We will always need the righteousness of Christ. The only hope that you and I will ever have of one day being with God is that we have clung to a perfect righteousness from God. That's what Luther came to see and sparked the Reformation. He, he tried with all of his might and all of his muster to live by the law. As we heard this morning in my Sunday school class, he went into the confessional and would spend hour after hour after hour confessing his sins until the point of those that were there said, Luther, quit confessing peccadillos. In other words, they accused Luther, he just was lazy. He didn't want to work in the fields. He'd rather sit in the confessional. But that's not why Luther did it. Because Luther was attempting to find a righteousness within himself And what changed his life and what sparked a renewal of an understanding of the gospel was that he began to understand it will never be enough. The quantity of my works will never sufficiently be enough. So it's not the quantity, but it's the reality. The reality that God has brought us through. God to repentance and there's been a change of direction and a, and a life that begins to change. And what we're going to do next week, it's Father's Day. I decided as I was sitting there, for Father's Day, we're just going to talk about two contrasts. The contrast, and that's where it goes here. The contrast in this text is the real, it's, it's righteousness versus unrighteousness, a righteousness by faith versus unrighteousness, and what the difference of those two things are. What it looks to be to be righteous by faith a work that is produced out of this righteousness by faith and what is produced by a life of unrighteousness. Those are the contrasts. And we'll talk about that on Father's Day. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you'll help us. I pray, Lord, that we will understand 
that our only hope is the gospel. Our only hope is Christ. Our only hope is a righteousness that comes from God. That is my only hope. And it is the hope of the world. It's the hope that Paul heralded. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing our benediction this morning, which is one of the songs we sang. Psalm 62. I hope that this is where you're at, that your rest is in God alone and all that God is for us in Christ, in the righteousness that he provides. And we'll talk more about it next week. Let's stand together and sing. My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness I'll look to Him who hears me Oh, praise Him, hallelujah My delight in my reward Everlasting, never failing My Redeemer, my God Find rest, my soul, in God alone Amid the world's temptations When evil seeks to take a hold I'll cling to my salvation Though riches come and riches go Don't set your heart upon them The fields of hope in which I sow our heart is set in heaven. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight in my reward. Everlasting, never failing, my Redeemer, thy I'll set my gaze on God alone And trust in Him completely With every day pour out my soul And He will prove His mercy Though life is but a fleeting breath A sigh too deep to measure My King has crushed the curse of death and I am His forever. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight in my reward. Everlasting, never failing, my Redeemer, my God. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, Delight in my reward, everlasting.